wonderful to read it together. Quick word of prayer. Father, as we look at Psalm 150, as we look at the whole discipline of praise, as we follow Jesus' teaching and guidance to hallow your name, feed us, teach us, rebuke us, challenge us. Lord, release us. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. As I said at the start, we're um, using the Lord's Prayer, this template. I'm not sure that uh, Jesus necessarily intended us to pray that template as a prayer, more a kind of prompt for the ways in which we might pray. Um, and we've come to this phrase this morning, hallowed be your name. It's caused a little bit of confusion, particularly among some younger members who've been taught this perhaps at primary school or at Sunday school. Uh, I came across these misperceptions of um, this line of the Lord's Prayer. Um, one little boy, he thought, he thought he was praying, Our Father in heaven, hello, what's your name? Uh, another, one, another one misunderstood it. It said, Our Father in heaven, Harold be thy name. So now we know. <laughs> Although I'm sure you know about the little boy who, who came home to his mum and said, uh, I, know what, I know what God's um, first name is. I know his first name. And someone said, oh, very interesting. Um, what's that, darling? What's his first name? It's Peter. Peter. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, why do you think God's first name is Peter? Because in, in, in church today, everyone said, thanks, Peter God. <laughs> moving on. Moving on. What, what is Jesus inviting us to understand and to release in prayer when he says, hallowed be your name? Let's think about the name, first of all. What's in a name? What's in our name? It's everything, isn't it? More than just a word. It's our identity. It's something of our culture. It's something of our history. It's something of our connections. There's so much in our name. Defendants in court seek to clear their name. If uh, we have a small brush with the law, a police officer will arrest us in the name, the name of the law. Not just the letter of the law, but everything that the letter of the law encompasses. And, and God revealed himself to Moses in a name, I am who I am. Unchanging, everlasting, eternally present. I am. Not in a concept, not in a banner, not in a code, but in a name. Hallowed be your name. In other words, hallowed be you and all that you represent. What is this um, old word, hallowed? It, it literally means to set apart as, as distinct in some way, to set apart as, as holy. So Jesus is teaching us here, our Father in heaven, there's the address, and here is the, the attribute, your name. Everything that you represent is to be set apart in our lives as holy, as pure, as wonderful, as good. Hallowed be your name. How do we do that? How do we set apart everything that represents God in our lives as holy? Well, we take his name, I think, and then ascribe value to it. Look at, um, look at the psalm above, 150, Psalm 149. We could have taken any number of psalms, particularly in the sort of 120s onwards. Look at verse 2 there. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. There's a name. It's capital M. 
the maker. He's the creator of, of all that is. So let's take that name, God as maker, and think about what that means for us. We have a creative being. We have purpose. There's an intention to our lives as we recognize the maker in our lives. And so we just say, how extraordinary, how, how imaginative is the world you've made? How powerful, how intricate. You are so clever. You're so amazing. We take the name and ascribe value to it. Look at uh, that next line in verse 2 of Psalm 149. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. There's another name. God as king. What does a king do? He looks after and ensures good governance of his subjects. Oh, Lord. You as king are ensuring that our lives are well-ordered. That's wonderful that there's someone who is looking out for us in that way, who wants our lives to be lived well. Taking the name and describing glory. Try it this week. One name each day of the week. Rock. When we're feeling unsteady, uncertain, when we're not sure if our feet are firmly placed. God as our rock. Or as a provider, if we know ourselves this week to be in need. What do I say in this situation? How am I to act in this tension here? When the stress is on, Lord, will you provide for me? And we know he will. He, that's why he's called a provider. So we praise him for that. Or warrior. When we know ourselves to be tempted in the white heat of battle, praise God as warrior. Look at Psalm 150. And actually, um, it was wonderful that we read it out loud because it gives... In a sense, it was a, a work in progress for us. When we first read, there were two phrases, aren't there? Right at the beginning and right at the end, praise the Lord. When we read the first praise the Lord, we were a little bit hesitant. I've never read out loud in church before. And then the word praise, 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 praise in every verse. So that by the end, there was quite a confident praise the Lord. And that actually is a beautiful illustration of this psalm. It is a progression. If you notice, praise him for his acts of power. Verse 2, and his surpassing greatness. There's a sense of progression. Praise him with the trumpet, verse 3, and the harp and the lyre, other instruments. What do we add to the instruments? Verse 4, well, dancing, strings and pipe, all sorts. Let, let everything begin to join this great anthem of praise. Let, verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We start small. We start where we're at. We take one name, one attribute of God. We ascribe value to it. And we watch and see how, as we join the anthem of creation, our praise amplifies and increases. Hallowed be your name. Why do we praise? Why do we praise God? Why does God ordain praise from his creation? After all, if we think about Praise for a moment. When, when, when in our sort of everyday lives might we come across praise, is it not when we're trying to encourage or draw out from someone something? Think of a primary t school teacher and a little child or, or a parent and a child. Aren't we saying, you know, well done, Johnny. That, you, 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 you know, you're, you're so good at doing that. You're, you're really clever. And implicit in that is, you know, we'd love more of the same. I think there's more to come. You, you could be even better. So when Christians talk of praising God, is, is it that we think, you know, God's doing quite a good job, but 
I don't know, I think there's a little bit more to come maybe. He's flagging a little bit, getting a little bit tired. So if we all sort of encourage him and praise him, maybe he'll keep going and we'll be, we'll be okay. I want to argue that ultimately praise is a gift from God to us. Ultimately, although we don't do it solely for this means, we're the beneficiaries. We're the beneficiaries of praise. And what we're doing, like those fans on Wembley Way, is we're joining in with the great creation crescendo. And there's an affirmation there. There's a corporate affirmation that the world and everything in it is good. And as signal as that, as response to that, we, we join in with an affirmation of, of praise, of goodness, of delight, of joy. What if I don't feel like praising let me tell you, every single one of us in this room, there'll be times, periods, long periods maybe, when we simply won't feel like praising. We, we simply won't feel like taking the name of God and ascribing value to it, or putting him first. I shouldn't think Paul and Silas felt like praising God when they were sitting in the jail in Philippi, Acts chapter 16. But they knew that that was a discipline that they were called to do, and as a result, God broke in. I shouldn't think Hannah on the birth of her long-awaited son, Samuel, in giving him up to Eli in the temple, I shouldn't think she felt in her heart of hearts totally like praising. Yet 1 Samuel chapter 2, my heart rejoices. My heart rejoices. There's a discipline and a sacrifice in praise, but it's because it's for our benefit. Or there's benefit for us in praising. Perhaps a better way of putting it. There's benefit for us in praising. Three things, quite quickly. First of all, praising God, hallowing his name, ascribing value to him, reorients our worldview. If you have a gatepost outside your house, or a front door, or the front door, and let's suppose you want that front door or gatepost to be white, and you paint it white, You'll need periodically to keep painting it white. Otherwise, over time, it'll turn black. The fumes and the exhaust and the rain and the dust, the white post or the white door will go grey and black if you leave it. You need continually to paint the door or the post or whatever it is white in order for it to be white. And so too with our lives. We, we, we get spun off centre. We begin to look at the periphery. And God is not at the center of our lives. And we need to replace him there. To, to, to place him back, is what I mean. To put him at the center. Praise does that. Praise is telescopic activity. By that I mean that just as a telescope enables us to bring big things near or make invisible things visible to us. So praise enables the enormity of God to be brought near to us in our situation. What we tend to do is to be microscopic in our worldview. We tend to allow the difficulties and hassles and the stresses and strains of each day, little things in, in the whole scope of things, little things to be made large. 
A microscope takes a little thing and makes it large. And we tend to do that with our cares and worries and concerns. Jesus teaches on the Lord's Prayer in the context of not worrying about what we've got to wear or, or clothe ourselves. Not worrying about tomorrow. Not about hoarding up possessions as a security. That's to make the little things and the, the little concerns big in our lives so that they consume us. Jesus teaches us to praise God, first of all, before he teaches us to ask by way of petition or request. In order to make bigness of God near so that we are satisfied in him. Why do we praise? Because it reorients our worldview. Secondly, and, and, and flowing from that, if big things are drawn near in praise, then false gods are disempowered. The false gods of other people's approval. The false gods of the things that we do, the achievements that we've made, the cars that we drive in, all the little things that we almost subconsciously use to bolster our sense of self and worth. They are disempowered as we recognize again through the discipline of praise that it is God who gives us life. In him we live and move and have our being. Praise, the discipline that disempowers false gods. Finally, praise, the consummation of trust. Praise is the consummation of trust. It, is, it completes the act of giving and receiving a gift. And so, our Father in heaven, when we think of the privilege, the gift to us that it is, to call God Father, to know that relationship, of which we've sung earlier, to be drawn close in personal relationship to God, when we recognize the wonder and the privilege and the sheer grace of that, then our, our response by way of completion and consummation of that is praise. You are amazing. You are wonderful. You are awesome. You are holy. I remember a few weeks back I was telling the story when I was a little lad at the football match. Football obviously a big theme um, in this sermon and just in the world at the moment. Um, won't always be, don't worry. Uh, I, I was with my friend, support, we went to the Arsenal game, do you remember? And uh, just, if you weren't here. And there were a couple of Newcastle fans, the opposing team at the time, kind of rather menacingly following us. And we were, we were quite scared. Until fortunately we chanced upon this great big Arsenal fan. Huge guy. And uh, so we asked him, can we just stand by you um, and just, you know, <laughs> bid farewell to our Newcastle fans. And sure enough, they kind of melted away, had a train to catch, something like that. Off they went. Uh, and I was talking about your access to a power, prayer as, as, as access to the power. What was the very next thing we did with the, with the Arsenal? Did we just walk away? No way. I mean, you know, it felt like he'd saved our lives. That was amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. That, that was so good of you. You are so good, just to, you know, a couple of squits like us, to, to spare us the time, to be, to, to kind of allow us into your sphere. Whatever you were doing, you were in your conversation, and you, you protected us. That's amazing. Psalm 100. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Praise, the consummation of a gift, the completion of a gift, which, which, from deep inside, we're called to, to speak out and to live out in some way.
prayer energizes the life of God in us and praise releases it. I think that's why Jesus teaches this right at the start of this template of prayer. What's the first thing to do? Praise God's name. Don't move into requests. Don't move into pleas for forgiveness. Don't move into uh, prayers for protection. Not even kingdom perspective before we've come to the king and recognize that he is on the throne. And in so doing, something is energized in us. Life is energized in us when we come to the source of life. Energy, compassion, creativity is released in us when we praise. We join with creation song. Just think again a moment. Why, on one level, why would you pay 80, 90, 100 pounds, whatever it was, for a ticket for the cup final yesterday? When, in the comfort of your own home, in the comfort of your own armchair, with no impeded view, you can have seven or eight or nine or ten different camera angles on every single move. You can see the goal from all sorts of different angles, as well as the reaction of all the fans and the managers and the manager's dog. All of that for free. Well, you pay the license, but I mean, why, why would you pay so much money to go to the event? And the answer, I'd have paid, if someone offered me a ticket, I'd have paid, I'd have gone. Why? Because, because there's something released in the individual cheering the goal when that individual cheers with everyone else. When there is a corporate recognition. Something is released. When, when all of us recognize, and yes, the cheer goes up. And everyone joins in the cheer. And so it is with praise. That's why um, I hope, and I'm sure this is true, that when we come here together, corporately together, it's a bit like, you know, the trip at Wembley. I hope we are pre-prayed and therefore ready to release praise. So that our opening hymn isn't, you know, let's bless our um, musicians here. It isn't a kind of, you know, racking through the gears and we're ready to go, yes, yes, yes. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder. To be released bodily, maybe. Some of us um, are traditional when we pray. The traditional Jew, as you know, he raised holy arms in prayer. And some of us are traditionalists. And we just can't help being traditionalists. We raise our arms. Others of us here are more radical. And you just have to, you know, let's live with one another. Others, we're going to be radical. We're going to keep our arms down by our sides. But for the traditionists here, as well as the radicals, we live together, whatever it is, but let's just release praise. Because something is released in us when we release praise and ascribe value and worth to God. Let me finish briefly by talking about one particular language of praise that the Bible talks about. And I touched on this when we were teaching on the um, Inside Out course and thinking about the life of God in us, the spirit of God released in us. And one of the ways in which praise is released in the body of believers is through the, the, the gift of speaking in tongues, different types of spiritual languages. Um, I've just got one or two texts here on the, on the screen from when Paul teaches, in fact, he's correcting the church in Corinthians about this this uh, language, just as we've got the first one up there, it was clear through Acts that when people came to a living faith in God, they praised God, 
And allied with that praising in God, a kind of expression of that praising was this bursting forth of a spirit-inspired language, praying or praising in tongues. What is um, this speaking or praying in tongues? First of all, you can see here, it's, um, it's a... Uh, well, let's just go back, can we, to um, verse 2, the first one? That's the one there. Um, it's a language to God. If anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, it's, it's praise directed to God. Uh, and it's a language of the Spirit. Uh, the, the second next verse. Verse 14. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Paul, incidentally, is talking here in the context of, of order in the church. And so actually, the context of his teaching is, but guys, I want you to take seriously the gift of prophecy, because that is what is plain to everyone else. I, it, it enables order to take place and to be seen in the church. But within the context of praise... Paul is wanting to say, yes, absolutely. The gift of tongues and praying in tongues is a wonderful, wonderful gift. What is the point of it? Verse 4 of chapter 14. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. He who prophesies edifies the church. He's doing this compare and contrast. But here is this language of praise. Praise for our benefit, to edify ourselves, to, to release that which is within us. The recognition that God is so good, so good that it pours out of us, and as the Spirit prays on our behalf, we join with this song of creation. We join with what the Spirit is doing, and it issues forth in this prayer language. Some people fear, is God going to make me pray in tongues when I'm chewing at Sainsbury's, or in some public place, or at a dinner party, and we're having a lovely conversation, and suddenly, in the middle of the conversation, blah, 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 and I'm, no, no, is the answer. Um, Paul says, towards the end, If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet. And uh, later on he says of prophets, but it applies to those operating in the spirit. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. We are in control of our tongues. It is the tongue that does the speaking, inspired by the spirit. But we are in control of that. So if you don't want to speak in tongues, you don't have to. Paul says as much. But equally he says, I'd love that everyone spoke in tongues, not so that everyone could look really impressive, not so that this could be known, Corinth or St. Deeds or wherever it is, as you know, the super spiritual church, but just because it's another way in which praise is released and we join in with the song of creation. How? How do I speak in tongues? Tongues is the Bible word for language. Well, how do you speak a language that's new to you? you're learning, I don't know, German or French or Italian or Spanish or whatever it is, how do you speak it? Well, first of all, you've got to decide, I want to speak it. You don't have to speak another language. So do you want to? If it's a gift that releases praise, is that something that's worth exploring? You've got to want to speak. Second, well, if you want to learn a new language, what do you do? You find an instructor, someone who has spoken that language and can help you. There are actually a number of us uh, around this church um, who I know have received the gift of tongues and pray and speak in tongues. Why don't you discreetly draw alongside them and say, how did that happen? How did you start? Can you help me? Thirdly, if you want to speak a new language, you have to speak. A number of people I've prayed with and they go, I don't you know, I want a gift of tongues. Lord, Please give me the gift of tongues. And I, I, I said, well, um, you'll have to open your mouth. <laughs> I don't know of any speech that takes place 
where the mouth is closed. It's a step of faith. I remember when I first operated in the gift, I, had this, I just had one word that sounded stupid to me. But it was going over and over in my mind. And I wrestled. I thought, if I say that, I'll sound stupid. And actually, I got, eventually I got to the stage when I thought, in the overall scheme of things, what does it matter if Tim Stilwell looks stupid? Really. If this is a gift that God is wanting to use to release praise in my life and a fresh appreciation of who he is and how wonderful he is and all that he's done. You might find it's during the singing of a song. You might find it's while you're having a shower in the middle of next week. You might find it's while you're out walking the dog or going for a run. I don't know. But whenever it is, when perhaps you're praying, and that sense, just as we were reading the psalm, of a growing appreciation of who God is, wells up. You are amazing. You are wonderful. You are powerful. You are the rock. And as English, as it were, runs out, maybe, God willing, you'll find the Spirit interceding on our behalf takes over. There's a tiny red door on a great big Gothic cathedral. And as we come towards the cathedral, we think, that's an amazing building, but look at that door. There's a red, garish door. And our eye is taken by the door so much that we don't really see the cathedral. But the point of the door is not to sort of stand there as something ornate, it's to be used. It's the point of access, of entry. And so you go through the red door, and as you go through the red door into this extraordinary cathedral, the light through the stained glass windows, all the ornate vaults and pillars, just the sense of majesty and power and awe in that place. And once you're in the cathedral, the door isn't red. In fact, you don't even notice the door at all. You're so taken with what's inside. So too, praising. And we might say specifically within praising. Praising in tongues, the release of God's Spirit in our lives so that we actually don't even notice the gift because we're so taken with the giver. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 